This speaker was recorded at an Addictive Eaters Anonymous public meeting held in Dublin, Ireland in February 2019. For more information, visit www.aeainfo.org. Hi, I'm Laurie. I'm an addictive eater. Hi, Laurie. And I'm uh, thrilled to be here. I've never been to Europe, and this is my first time. And the only thing I love to, the, I think I love the idea that the only thing that got me over here was this workshop and you people. So um, I think that says, well, at least it says to me that I love my life and addictive eaters anonymous. So. Um, Anyway, and Abraham talked about how, you know, he was speaking when lunchtime was coming and we'd be all thinking about this is my time to eat while well, I'm thinking this is my time to nap, so, because <laughs> uh, I ate, so I'm good, you know, I can turn my mind off now, but, um, so feel free to uh, close your eyes and that's fine with me, I'm good with it. Anyway, I was reminded this morning, uh, the speakers that came up, we all, of course, have something in our heads about speaking. You know, I'd like to say I don't completely relax, but that's not true. And so I was, uh, I, I knew my head was going, and I knew it was in the wrong place. But when I'm in my head, I can always access the tools of recovery that we learn and we hear about every single time we're at a meeting or read the big book. So um, I have been around long enough to know that I needed to make a call because I knew that I needed to stop that nonsense. Uh, it's not useful to be in my head. In fact, it's a liability that I've learned in this program. So um, anyway, I made a phone call and, and you know how, don't you love how sponsors just uh, state the obvious and you're like, oh, you know. <laughs> so I was told to keep it simple. Like, oh yeah, speak from the heart. Oh yeah. <laughs> so anyway, um, so I just want to start by expressing my gratitude that today I don't have to eat. Uh, today I'm not obsessed with food, and I'm not thinking one moment about how to control my eating. And that's by the grace of God and using a power higher, uh, greater than myself. And um, that's the message. I'm done. No. <laughs> anyway, that's uh, miraculous. And as someone said, it's only the beginning, but for the beginning, you know, that's a big, big, big miracle in my life. And I never want to forget that. Um, when I came, before I came into the program, by the time I got um, near the end, or what we call rock bottom sometimes, is all I did was I was either eating, I spent my whole life either eating, thinking about eating, or trying to control my eating. That was my life. And in between, I would squeeze in going to work, raising a child, and trying to maintain relationships and marriages. And um, I was a failure uh, in a lot of ways to doing all that because all I was doing was eating, thinking about eating, or controlling my eating. And while I was uh, eating, I could not think of anybody else or do anything else. And while I was obsessed with food in between, I couldn't think of anybody else. I couldn't be useful. I couldn't be helpful. And while I was trying to control my eating, I was insane. I was mad, and I just, all I did during those times was try to search out a way to feel comfortable. 
and to feel the relief of not being with myself. And so again, I couldn't think of others, I couldn't be useful. I had developed through my life a great ability to um, act like I was very functional and efficient and, and um, you know, smart. And so I was able to develop a career and I was able to get married and have children, sort of what we call the American dream. And um, of course, when I, um, I wasn't genuine at all. I wasn't authentic, nobody, I mean, it's amazing how miserable and dark it was for me on the inside. It's amazing how nobody really knew and how I could function on the outside because I am the great pretender. And that's what I was doing a lot of the time as well, was just developing skills and pretending uh, I was something I wasn't because, God forbid, anybody knew what I was going through. I had immense amount of shame related to my eating. I had immense amount of shame related to my thoughts. And I had immense amount of shame that I couldn't figure out how to do life in a useful, happy way. I just couldn't do it. And um, that was true ever since I was a child. Um, I, I don't even remember uh, not feeling like different or that I didn't belong or I was confused. Um, I had shame every day of my life. I don't know why. My circumstances weren't really unusual. Um, no one was telling me I was bad or being critical that would make me feel shame. I don't know. I just came out, I guess feeling like, where am I and what do I do to get what they have? Um, so from a very early age, I did a lot of things to try to get myself to feel very comfortable and to figure out how to do life and get my needs managed. I just, you know, it was very difficult for me. So I just found ways to relieve myself of the pain. And when I was a child, of course, the only thing I had was fantasy world, so I just, lived in a fantasy world of the world I wanted. I was changing, I was trying to change reality from a very, very, very young age. And I managed that through fantasy. And out of that came um, lying and pretending. We're talking from five and six and on. And so eventually I just believed sort of the things I fantasized about and my friendships were based on a lie. I said I lived where I didn't live. I had a family that I really didn't have. Um, uh, I was at a different age than I really was. I mean, it just was on and on and on. So I was a liar and a pretender from the very beginning. And it was basically also nobody would know the real me, whatever that was. I spent a lot of time in childhood observing other kids my age because they always looked like they had, they had it figured out, they were happy, they got their needs met. If they were in trouble or they were sad or unhappy, they seemed to know how to get that fixed too. And um, I couldn't, I didn't understand that, so I just started copying other kids. I remember I'd come home and my mom would go, oh, I know who you were with today, because I would just imitate other people, you know? Didn't work, because as I've learned through this program, the problem's on the inside, it's not on the outside. But I just kept trying and trying, and uh, when I became a teenager, I um, found things that gave me very immediate relief from myself and my pain. And that would have been, um, I was in the age of drugs, sex, and rock and roll. And all those served to instantly change my reality. 
So uh, I indulged in those kinds of things. As far as food, um, I grew up in a household where food wasn't an issue. It wasn't associated in any, in any particular way with love or feeling better or anything like that. My mom was a complete health nut. And, uh, but I did, um, I did think about food differently uh, a, a lot. I, um, I didn't eat a lot. It wasn't a problem that manifested in my early age. That came in my el more elderly age before I got to this program. But, um, I, um, but when I had, was able to access food that I really wanted, which was not in my house but other people's houses, there were occasions where I would just take that food and eat it all and then not let anybody know and go home. Um, I would spend the night at, you know, we'd have slumber parties or, or spend the night parties and I would get up in the middle of the night in other people's houses and make full-on meals for myself, clean up and go to bed as if it never happened. So I did have unusual behaviors with food and, um, but this just was, it was very far and few between and like I said, by the time I was a teenager, I found things that got me more instantly uh, feeling better. So. Um, by the time I, I would say it took me about, uh, let's see, it took me two failed marriages. It took me um, to have a relationship with my daughter where uh, she just wanted to spend most of her time away from me. Um, and any interaction we had created a response from her that, I mean, she was crazy because of me. Um, and, um, my relationships at work were, uh, I got to the point where at work I would just hide. I didn't work. I mean, I went to work. I took the money, but I, I would hide in the, uh, I worked in a school, so I'd hide in, the, hide in the teacher's cafeteria. No coincidence there. And I would just pretend I was places I wasn't. So my life was completely unmanageable. I didn't, I didn't at all make any correlation between as my eating, uh, progressed, my addictive eating progressed, my life became more and more unmanageable. I made no connection between the two at all because in my mind, as you all know, the reason why my life was so miserable and unmanageable was because of this person, that person, or my circumstances. There was nothing I could do about that. So, I mean, I tried and tried and tried and tried to control people and to change them. And lo and behold, people cannot be controlled, you know? And life happens, whether I want it to or not, but I felt very entitled to have this perfect life. And so I did all that I could to make it so, and I couldn't make it so. Um, I was banging my head against the wall. When I did get some of the things I wanted, that was great for five minutes. And then people started be acting human. And that didn't work for me. Um, that didn't meet my expectations. So when things didn't go my way and people didn't act the way I wanted them to, I would um, go crazy. I would make demands. I would retaliate. I would have self-pity. I would leave. I would stay. Make their lives miserable. And that's how I responded to life when I didn't get my own way, which is a lot. And a lot of times now today, I don't get my own way either. But I have an entirely different response and I get help responding in the way that meets the principles of this program, which are spiritual in nature. Um, but I got to a point before I got into the program where I understood about, took me about 10 years of dieting and counseling and therapy and self-help and 
uh, church and all the other things we all do to try to fix ourselves. Um, the last thing I did was I was just about to have bariatric surgery and I went through all the program and everything and at the last at the last part of that before you actually have the surgery there's like a session with a counselor and there were two sessions one was with a nutritionist and she said to me she said you know when you finish right after the surgery you can really only have liquids so what we like our clients to do before they go into the surgery, I want you to go about, for, you know, you have about a month for that, four weeks. I want you to cut down your eating and just eat certain things so you get used to how you need to eat when you're finished. And I said to her, because I was a bitch, because I was mad when I wasn't eating. I said to her, if I could do that, do you think I would be having someone surgically alter my insides so I didn't have to eat? Why would I even be here if I had any prayer of cutting down my eating or only eating certain foods? I know now that was a moment of clarity, although I was very disrespectful to her. I'm, I'm softening it. Um, and she just went, okay, you know, thank you very much. So that was the first session. And then the next time it was with a group of us and we were all going to go into surgery very soon, maybe a week later or something like that. And she said, <clears throat> I do have to tell you that there are people after they have the surgery, at some point later they still gain the weight, because this was all about my weight, right? I was like with the credit card. If I can just get it down to zero, I'll never spend money on it again and I'll be fine. If I just get my weight down, then I'll start all over and I will never gain another pound. I was like on a hamster wheel, you know, over and over and over, this is the day and I'll get it. Um, so she said, um, so people after they have the surgery can still gain the weight and still, um, try to eat things that they shouldn't eat. And we just need to let you know that, you know. It will cause a great deal of pain if you try that, but it does happen. She just wanted us to know that not every person who has bariatric surgery is successful in this being magic cure for them. That to me was God. And I had some moment of clarity at that moment, and I thought, that's gonna be me. I will find some way, I don't care if my stomach is too tight, shrunk, taken out, I'm going to find some way to put food or it might be milkshakes for the rest of my life, I don't care, I will eat. And I turned around and I didn't have a surgery because I knew. And at that moment I knew that there was absolutely nothing I could do about this problem of eating, the eating part. Um, and I knew then that I was powerless over the food. So then my mind kicked in, and the solution came that, well, if there's nothing you can do about it, why try? You know you can't do it, which was true. So you might as well just eat what you want when you want and not feel guilty or bad about it. You just do it. You just die someday over it. But what, you know, what choice do you have? And so that's how I spent the next um, quite a few years like that. I just gave my permission, myself permission to indulge, and I lost complete hope, hope 
over ever finding a solution. And um, so I just continued to eat and eat and eat and eat, and my life continued to get more unmanageable, and I continued to have uh, my relationships all fell apart. My second husband, he was in the way of my eating. I needed him out. You know, it was that bad. It was just, just that bad. And um, my daughter was getting to the point where she needed to move out. I just like, get away from me because now we're on. And food is my lover and my partner and my friend. I'll go to work. I'll make the money to pay my mortgage. But other than that, this is my life. And um, when I got to a point before I got into the program, I just got a tremendous, tremendous vision, sort of, I guess if you want to call it, of me gaining, I knew it was going to happen, that I would gain so much weight I just wouldn't be able to get out of the bed and I was going to die. And a tremendous fear came over me. I was terrified. So it took all that and all the pain and a terrifying fear for me to surrender that I needed, I could do this alone. And I said for the first time, probably in decades, God help me. I just closed my eyes and said, God help me. And that's the willingness that I had. And that opened the door. And the very next day, maybe two days after, I'm not sure exactly, but very shortly after that, I thought to myself, there has to be something that can help me. I don't know what it is, but it's just a little bit of hope, you know, came to me from asking God for help. I thought, what haven't I tried? I, I racked my brain and I thought, okay, just get online and put in, you're a maniac with food, you can't do anything.com, whatever, you know. <laughs> um, and because I wasn't about to go on any more diet programs, that was that ship sailed, you know. I was in reality about that. So Food Fellowship came up. And I had had a very biased about any 12-step program before. Never been to a 12-step program, never knew anybody in the 12-step program, but they were all horrible, bad, and all you were going to do is get religion, and you were going to be addicted to religion. And so how is that any better, right? Um, and as far as a food fellowship goes, oh, good God, did I want to be in a room full of people telling me how they can't stop eating? No, because that's me, and I don't care about you, and that's not going to help me, so no. But... That day, I didn't care what came up. Food Fellowship came up, and I saw the questions. And I read those questions, and it was like, okay, they're not asking me how many calories I eat a day. They're not asking me what foods I eat. They're not asking me how much I eat. They're asking me things that have to do with my thinking and my behaviors and how my life looks today. And I thought... I've never tried anything like this before, and something in me said, this seems like it's a path, because I'm so, I just want, I did want to lose the weight, of course, but I just wanted to stop being miserable. Just stop me from being miserable, because it was either live miserably for the rest of my life, or kill myself. I didn't see any other way not to be miserable. So when I saw that, I thought, maybe, just maybe. So I clicked on, and I found a meeting. And my first meeting I went to, 
I'm walking down the stairs, you can't see the meeting from there, and I hear this accent from New Zealand, and I'm like, I knew this person, um, it, she lived in my area, and we kind of, um, we had met once. So I knew her voice, but I didn't really know her. I didn't know anything much about her. She was a good friend of a friend kind of thing. And I heard the voice, this New Zealand voice, and I'm like, what in the world? You know, and first of all, that person was very, very thin, so that didn't, I couldn't square that. I went in there, she was there, and about, I don't know, six or seven other people. And I was in shock that she was in a food fellowship. And we, first thing we did was we read the big book and we read that page about um, the direct, you want to be the director in life, the white person, you know, you're, you're trying to be everybody and manipulate everybody. And I started to get, you know, and then it started to say, and there are people, I used to think that if I wasn't aggressive or mean to people, if I was nice to people and tried to get my way, that was fine. As long as you weren't mean and rude to people to get your way, then you're okay to manipulate others. So then I read the paragraph that talks about, well, a lot of times people just get nicer when they're trying to get their way so they can get their way, and I knew that was me. And I thought to myself, hallelujah, I found my answer. I didn't know what the answer was. I didn't know what the solution was. I did not care. I identified and I was, I think I went to what they call in Alcoholics Anonymous, that pink cloud, boom. Um, I knew my life was unmanageable. I didn't understand it all. It was unmanageable because I was the problem. I still thought it was other people, but I knew I had found, so I went to a meeting every single day because um, I was just thirsty, thirsty, thirsty for this. I found out I had a disease, what a big relief. I didn't care what the disease was. I was just so happy that, no, you don't have to use your willpower. No, you don't have to be a better person or be a good person to start. You know, no, you don't have to go on a bunch of diets. No, don't try to control your eating. I mean, I was just so relieved. So I had a lot of willingness and um, in the beginning, and it was uh, definitely uh, helped me to you know, the people that came into my life to um, help me. Because what I struggled with in the program and um, is the, uh, the honesty part, the part of understanding very clearly in my heart that the problem was not out there, it was me. I was the problem. And so what needed to change was me. And how that was going to change, I was fine to change, but how that was going to happen was very difficult. And that meant rigorous honesty, um, being genuine, you know, being who I really was. I mean, it didn't matter how ugly it was. And having self-discipline, you know, it's like, uh, no, that's not me. So, um, and taking responsibility. You know, all the things that were so, so difficult, the complete 180. And so I learned in the program that in order for me to have recovery, get well, and lead a useful life, I had to make a profound change in myself, my personality. And that has been the program for me. And that is where I've experienced, you know, the, had the spiritual experiences.
is transforming. For me, that doesn't happen overnight. Transformation comes slowly and it comes over time and it's lifelong. I've accepted that and I'm okay with that because it is just every time I grow, life gets better and better. Um, I got, I, you know, I just thank God for our sponsors because what I sponsor did and does is tells me, uh, gives me suggestions how I can respond to situations and react to things in my life which are like 180 degrees differently than I do or have done. And I couldn't do that on my own because in my head, what I did and how I responded was correct and it was right, even though it brought a great deal of pain. So I had the willingness to, and the open-mindedness to respond differently when she gave me suggestions where my instincts were screaming, this is not gonna work. You're going to have to expose yourself. You're going to have to admit your wrongs. Um, you might have to do nothing, Miss Control Freak, you know? Um, so anyway, um, you know, and, and even today, you know, I, um, if I, you know, for me today, when I, my thoughts and my words and my actions, I kind of now gauge them in terms of am I living within the principles of this program or are they outside the principle of this program? There, there's no in between for me. I'm either growing or I'm going backwards. I, I cannot sit still in this program. So I don't always know if I'm moving the principles in this program. I call my sponsor and I say, this is what I'm thinking, this is what I want to do suggest to me, am I living by the principles or is this a wackiness? And, you know, I get the answer to that. So, um, I think for me, uh, I think a spiritual experience can come from just the realization that you go from a dark, empty, selfish life into a more joyous, fulfilling, and useful life. And um, that has happened numerous times for me. Uh, now when things don't get my way, because they, I don't, I'm not entitled to get my way. Life is what it is. And um, I've learned through the program to acceptance is a big key. And so now when things don't go my way or people are human or they disappoint me or I don't do the right thing, um, I don't respond with all that craziness. I cannot hide behind self-rationalization anymore. I cannot hide behind self-pity. I cannot hide behind dishonesty. You know, now I need to have acceptance and compassion and, and honesty and just do the best I can. And to me, that is, um, that's God working because I cannot do that alone. I do every day have to, um, for me, in order for me to remember that God is in my life and is everything. I have to remember that God is everything. I say that and I have to know that and I have to know that for me a power greater than myself happens right now. God's not in tomorrow. God's not in yesterday's right now. So I do have to um, practice every day. I need to go to a meeting. I need to call a sponsor and I need to practice my prayer and meditation every day. And I don't know why 
you know, how that's so curative for me and health and, and, and healing for me. And I don't need to understand how any of this works, but I can experience it working. And that, that's good, you know. So, um, anyway, I, yeah, so I have a very different life today. There are places in my life where I need a lot of work with my sponsor um, still. And um, that's okay, you know. That's good. I'm growing and, and I just love this program. So hopefully this was useful because um, that's my reason for being here and for my own recovery as well. So thank you for letting me share.